Welcome to CouncilCast, news bites and insights from the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. My name is Elizabeth McDade, the Council's SVP of Leadership and Management Resources. Joining me today is Dr. Stephen Stowell, founder and president of the Center for Management and Organizational Effectiveness. Today, we'll talk about strategy and new ways of thinking about it. Welcome, Steve. Good to be here, Elizabeth. Thanks for inviting me on. We're going to start with a question that's nice and broad. What makes your work in the field of strategy and leadership unique and value-added for your clients? It's a good question, uh, Elizabeth. I like that question a lot. You know, when you think about it, there have been a lot of great people who have written on strategy. But my opinion is most of the literature is aimed for people at the top of the organization. And while that's good, I think it's equally essential that people inside the organization understand strategy and how they can contribute to the businesses or the firm's strategy. And so that's where my passion is, and that's what I think that we do unique and is help those folks in the middle chart a course and be a little more proactive. Terrific. So let's build on that a little bit, Steve. What does a new leader need to know or do about strategy? I think a new leader has to understand that they've got to spend part of their time delivering results today. That's very important, is to contribute to the bottom line and and do their routine, normal operations well. But the new leader also understands as they begin to rise up through the organization that they also have a responsibility to help shape the future, help shape the future for their own department or team or function, but also understand and help contribute to the firm's overarching strategy. Not an easy task. Not an easy task, and, and probably because I think most leaders are measured on what are you doing today, mm-hmm. not what you intend to do in the future. And so they naturally tend to gravitate to taking care of the operational and tactical things first. What gets measured gets done. That's exactly right. So, Steve, how do leaders ensure that there is traction and follow-through on strategic initiatives and efforts to improve the business so it is prepared for the future? I think that's important. I think it takes some strategic disciplines. I think we have to ask leaders at all level to play a part, and they have to be accountable for that part, and they've got to define that and make it visible and clear to everybody so that it can be measured. And they do need some KPIs, not only on today's activities, but what, how they're shaping the future and how they'll measure progress on that new path that everybody has to be juggling all the time. Great, great, great. So do you think that most leaders understand the significance and impact of cascading these strategic priorities down through their organization? I mean, what impact do leadership skills have on successfully doing so? Well, I I think it's very important because it takes a team. It takes a lot of collaboration. So I think it takes a special set of leadership skills to engage people, to invite them, to ask them, to coach them on their strategic activities as well as their day-to-day activities. So there are important leadership skills in order to cascade it down. And I think the most important one is some accountability and asking people to take ownership and measuring their results and, frankly, basing some of their incentives on 
what they produce at a strategic level as well as just an operational and tactical level. Terrific. Are there any other leadership skills that you think are critical in the realm of the strategy? Well, I, I think, you know, helping people understand that be, when you become efficient and when you become effective and successful, that that is really the enemy of change and evolution because people get complacent, they get confident, and the will and the drive to continually reinvent themselves kind of diminishes a little bit. So I think, uh, to put it mildly, I think leaders have got to be willing to challenge mm. people a little bit. And mm -hmm. sometimes they don't like doing that when, when you're already successful. It can be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But let's build on that. So, so how do leaders help their team members avoid or overcome the resistance, that natural resistance to change? And, you know, resistance is a very normal, natural thing. When things are working, people are not excited about changing the formula. Uh, people can get a little upset. They can get a little mad. They can get a little sad. And I think a leader has to be a little patient. I think uh, the skillful leaders that I've seen are willing to call it out, challenge people a bit on their resistance, but also be a little patient. I think as time progresses, people begin to open up. They go into what I call the neutral space. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of a beginning and a middle and an end. And, and a leader just has to help people through that pain points and that discomfort when you're inviting people to make changes on top of what's already working. So it's a little bit delicate, but if they're patient, they do some coaching, they communicate with people, they, they keep composure of their emotions, I think they go through those difficult times. It's, it's challenging, for sure. Definitely challenging. It requires high emotional intelligence. That's it, exactly. You've got to know your feelings and you've got to understand the feelings of others and be a little compassionate and, again, give them some time, give them the resources as they grapple with the new, the new thing that, that the firm has to do That's to be relevant in the future. So, so Steve, how can a leader who spends time thinking and acting strategically influence his or her peers or direct reports or, or even managing up to their boss to do the same? That's a good question. I think a lot of times people at the top of the organization don't get the message out. They don't create a strategic narrative for their strategy. And so I think sometimes you have to coach them a little bit in terms of how they can support people in the middle of the business. And so I think it takes a lot of dialogue and coordination. I mean, it's natural for teams to get competitive and into these silos. And so the really smart strategic leaders we've seen are able to bridge those silos and team up with their counterparts and other functions to put together some great initiatives that will benefit the whole organization. So would you say that the, leaders, the leader who's strategic really needs to have a, a story that they can build and use to convey what it is they're trying to get their team to do? That's right. I like to call it a strategic narrative. They need to be short. Too many leaders put together graphs and numbers and right. figures, but it's the story about what's going on, what are our challenges, what are opportunities. I think people get excited about that. So there needs to be a champion and a villain in every story. And if you can <laughs> spin a story, I think people can relate to that and internalize it which I think is what's missing a lot of times. People can't quite capture the vision of, of the firm and how they can add to it. I think telling a story is, is 
takes some real thought, whereas just talking through numbers, that's a comfort zone, right? So we've got to push ourselves into the stretch zone in order to, to really make it have impact for your people. Uh, that's exactly it. That's where you get the buy-in, and then they begin to see how they can connect and contribute to it and begin to get passion for that vision. That's great. Thank you. So you coined the term business within the business, which I love. What does that mean, and how can leaders adopt that mindset? I get that question a lot, Elizabeth. I think it's it's kind of an interesting concept because people can get, again, complacent working in their traditional role, in their traditional job, and they don't see their function as literally a business, a business that has suppliers who provide resources to them. They do processes, and then they, they provide a service or product to somebody else, usually inside the firm. That's true. It's inside the firm, and so... Oftentimes, they can get a little complacent and feel like they're a bit of a monopoly in a way, and they don't have to worry about coming up with innovations and next practices. And so if, if everybody can think of themselves as a business, every individual, in fact, think of themselves as not just a job holder, but as a business manager and have a little bit more of that entrepreneurial spirit and drive is what we mean by the business within the business. So. Right. That's what I was thinking as you were speaking. You really want to be encouraging an entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and make your culture one where people have a real sense of ownership. That's right. And we've always got to be reinventing ourselves, innovating and coming up with things that will keep the firm, the business relevant long term so it can have that sustained growth and that longevity and survive and thrive in, in a competitive world. It's, it's everybody has got to think in those terms, in my opinion. Steve, you tell a story about an employee of yours. I believe she was an administrative assistant who you challenged. And I, I would love for you to tell that story on our podcast today. Be glad to do it. I'll try to make it brief, Elizabeth, but I had a really great production manager. She was extremely good, dedicated, loyal, hardworking, everything that you could ask for, except she was not forward-looking. She didn't have that entrepreneurial mindset. So one day it just occurred to me to, as I've indicated in the podcast today, is challenge her a little bit. So I sat down in our conference room and and I said to this uh, production manager, a key position in our organization, because everything goes through our production people, And I said to this employee, how would you manage your job differently if we set you up as an independent enterprise? In fact, just moved you literally across the street. We're still your biggest customer. What would you do? How would you run your function differently if it was a business? And she said, interesting question. And I always tell the story that she said first, so did I just get fired? I said, of course not. Of course not. I really want you to think in maybe a different way. And she said, so uh, she says, let me see if I've got this right. If I were running the business, and that's what hit me so hard is because for years and years, because she worked with me for 25 years, I thought she was running a business, but what she was doing was doing a good job of the tactical everyday routine, hardworking, as I've said. But when she thought about that over the weekend, she, interesting, she came back with a lot of really game-changing ideas on technology and procedures and processes 
it was like a light bulb went on, Elizabeth, when all of a sudden I asked her to just look at her job from an entirely different perspective, and it paid off incredibly well. She made some great innovations before she retired just a year or two ago. So it was a lot of fun to see. I really do use this in my organization. It's fun to see it used right in my own team. I love that. I love that story. Steve, who's had the greatest influence on your professional growth and how so? Interesting question. Gosh, it was it's a little hard to think about the one person, but one that I, I really value was a gentleman who is actually one of my favorite professors. Uh, his name was Fred Hersberg. Some of you may know that name. He's considered the father of modern uh, work motivation. Uh, and what I learned from him is that people get motivated when they're engaged with the work itself. And that's what I found with my production manager. Her motivation went way up, way up, when all of a sudden I asked her to take a whole additional role to her job and look at it differently. It's like the motivation just blossomed in her because it gave her an opportunity to do some new things and to be involved and to have her decisions and opinions count. So that was his point, and I found that true all my life. And I think leaders, one of those key skills is how do you unlock that motivation in others? You can't, my feeling is you can't motivate somebody. You can only facilitate the motivation that's inside of other people. So he helped me really see that and understand that, and I've used that throughout my career. That's great. So one more question. Yes. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but what do you know now about leadership that you wish you had known when you got into this field? You know, I think the one thing that I truly came to believe is it's all about people. I mean, it's true having good products, good services, good technology, good funding is absolutely vital. But it's really people, and it's the teamwork, the communication, the collaboration that, in my opinion, is the real engine in organizations. And I think I believed that when I started my career in this field, but when I got a chance to work with really world-class organizations, they believe it. They create a culture that is really people-centric, and I think that's what every organization needs to do, and sometimes we get a little carried away with technology and investments and acquisitions and, and systems and processes and procedures, but in the end, it's really people who get the work done. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and what's really funny is they call the people side the soft skills. Yes. There's nothing soft, soft about, about them. They're the hardest right. skills to, to build and keep. Totally agree, Elizabeth. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the CouncilCast, News Bites and Insights. Until next time, I'm Elizabeth McDade. <laughs>